Please remain standing and open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. And this morning we are beginning with Luke 1, verses 13 through 17. Luke 1, 13 through 17. And this is what God's Word says. But an angel said to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Please be seated. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us uh, as we encounter, engage uh, uh, him in this text. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being here today. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, who's indwelling your believers, who's present, and we ask for the aid of the Holy Spirit as we look at this word, we submit ourselves to you to engage us and convict us and encourage us and and, uh, give us uh, what we need spiritually from you so that we can glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing with the series on the women of Christmas. We've made it to the New Testament. We've looked at uh, Tamar. Rahab and Ruth were saving Bathsheba till after the first of the year. But now we're here. This is the first one in our series that's not been in the line of Christ. She's a prominent woman of Christmas. Uh, John the Baptist is there as a great, uh, important uh, figure. He's, he's there in the Old Testament, prophesied about. Every gospel talks about John and Jesus and John's calling people to repentance and the things he said about the Lord. Well, today, uh, we we might know a lot about John, but we're going to talk about his mom today because the Bible wanted us to know about her. And this is Elizabeth's story. Uh, She's mentioned in Luke. In fact, when Luke is getting ready to talk about the birth of the Christ child, he begins with Zechariah and John and Elizabeth. So here we are. Uh, what makes her a woman of Christmas, I would ask, if, if she's not one of the list of those who are in the genealogical line of Jesus. But it's the way that her pregnancy and the pregnancy of her cousin Mary intertwined. I mean, wouldn't you have loved to be there when Elizabeth uh, is, is there and Mary knocks on the door, pregnant Mary supernaturally pregnant. Elizabeth, supernaturally pregnant, but a different way, still humanly, but still God's work. 
And when they see each other, an older uh, cousin and a younger cousin, she was probably just one of the little kids that was running around with the family get-togethers, but now they're both women, one older, one younger. And to look at her face, if you could go back in time and just isolate on her face, when the babe in her womb leaps for joy at the babe in Mary's womb uh, entering. And that's just quite the story. That is, that is an interesting uh, time. It's quite a thing. Um, that's, a, that's one more pro-life. Um, God knowing the babies. Did you even notice in this text that we read that said he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb? Think about that. And think about the ramifications for that. Anyway, Elizabeth, uh, we're sort of familiar with her story, but she's been a secondary character, and that's good. She probably would want it that way. But I'd like us to see four things about Elizabeth this morning as we consider her in relation to God and God in relation to her and what it means to us. The first is in relation to her social status. Elizabeth grew up as a church kid. In our language, we'd say she was a, a church kid. There was an old Christian. He's, an old, he's old by now. He wasn't old back then, but back when I was young, he was young. Um, Christian, a humorist, you'd say, comedian. A guy named Mark Lowry sang with the Bill Gaither Quartet. He could sing, and he was kind of a funny guy talking about growing up. And he said, he said ours was one of the families that we were there every time the church was opened. And he says, and my dad even had keys to the church, and sometimes we'd just go in there and sit in the pews uh, when it was just us. He said, that's how church kid I was. That would be Elizabeth. What does it say about her in in verse 5? It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. Aaron was the high priest. Priests came from his line. She grew up in the church. She, you could say she's like a preacher's kid married to a preacher or something like that. She knew how to do church. Uh, she didn't come uh, with some of the baggage. She came with baggage because we all do. But she didn't come with some of the baggage into God's people Uh, the same way that Tamar did, or Rahab did, or even that Ruth did, where they had to say, I forsake my people. Remember Ruth saying, your people will be my people, your God, my God, and there was a forsaking. No, Elizabeth was born into it, she grew up in it, Uh, she was just there, uh, one of those women in the church, an insider, you might even say. Tamar had to be a little deceptive and and even weaponize um, uh, uh, certain actions to fight her way into God's people. Rahab had to sit and watch while three walls came down and her people were uh, dedicated to destruction while her family was there on the wall and her new life was waiting as soon as the tumult of the war was over with because she had that flag. She came in that way. Ruth, as we said, had to forsake and leave and not turn back. 
but Elizabeth was born into it. There was never a time when she was not Jewish, never a time when she was not part of God's people. Born into it. Now, a question for all of us is this. Who dictated when and where Elizabeth was born and who she was? From her sex, to her race, to her time in life, to her family. Who was in charge of dishing that out? Was it just what some people call the lottery of birth? And she got her lottery ticket and Tamar didn't. Who's the boss of who you are? Who's the boss of who anyone is? I'm going to say it's either God or it's nobody. It's just chance. Romans 9. God says, I create vessels for honor and I create vessels for dishonor. I do what I want. I'm the creator. The people I make, I create. And I create them. And I recreate them when they get saved with works for them to do. But Elizabeth was who she was, not because God foresaw that she would be a good woman, which we're going to see that she is and was. But God is the one. And like we sometimes... uh, My parents, this phrase wasn't around when I was a kid, and I'm glad it wasn't, because if I was a kid and my parents said this, I would be as frustrated as my kids were when I said it to them. You get what you get, and you don't get upset. (laughs) I didn't hear that, but I said it a lot. (laughs) Um, And that's the way you must approach who you are. You may not like things about yourself, or you may love things about yourself and your circumstance. Uh, All of Who anybody is comes from God. Elizabeth, in contrast to these other three, who God loved and saved, Elizabeth was a church kid. She couldn't remember a time when she didn't uh, have an orientation toward uh, God's law. Which one of these women had a cause to complain. Believe it or not, sometimes some people who were born into this kind of a wonderful uh, Christian, we'd say covenant family into a church, sometimes they complain. And they go, oh, oh boring, boring. <laughs> I don't have a testimony. I don't, it's a boring relationship I have. Just a boring life of being boring um, But think about this. Uh, And I do say sometimes there's aspects, when I see new Christians, there's aspects of their life that make me a little jealous. Like, wouldn't you like to really have your eyes popped open and see who Jesus is and was uh, for the first time? Or to not hear... Uh, and not have heard David and Goliath or Jonah and the whale and all those stories, Jonah and the big fish, sorry, uh, and all those stories, but to hear them with Christian eyes 
and to see that. And there's a wonder in scripture that some of you who are newer to the faith, you get to have. But on the other hand, I think it's good to be boring. (laughs) It's good to grow up with it, to hear your mom sing, Jesus loves me. To not say, are we going to church today or not, but to just, you know, the car's going to church. Uh, To know that there's a a Bible that's revered and and is read in your home and, and people think about God. That's good. I went to my doctor and he said, you went to the doctor for the first time in three years. Uh, Pre-COVID, I'm feeling pretty healthy. I'm hoping I got mom's and not dad's genes. Went to my doctor, Russian doctor. I chose him because he was Russian. I thought that would be cool to have a Russian doctor to talk about Russia. And he said, you are a very boring patient. I said, well, I've got to lose weight. He said, join the club. Uh, Other than that, you're boring. EKG, fine. Everything fine. Pulse, fine. This, fine. That, fine. You are boring. And he said, that's good. He said, I'll see you in a year, Mr. Boring Patient. And um, isn't that kind of good to be a little boring even? To not have all this trauma going on, even spiritually, to be a boring Christian? Uh, One of my professors, actually, he's he's pictures in that magazine I showed you. He's one of the founders. But he, he talked to me about a church. This is a church... He said this in our class 30 years ago about an incident that happened in Alabama 30 years prior. So that if I knew the names, I would change them to protect the innocent, but I don't even know their names. But he said there was a woman. He was given an example. And a woman would come to church, and her husband just battled alcohol. And when he was on a bender, it was terrible. And, and he, was, he was a good guy until he got violent and started drinking. And she found her solace in the church and everyone would huddle around her and pray for her, pray for him, pray for the situation. And she got to be almost a minor celebrity in the church because her life wasn't boring. Then God answered prayer and he got saved and he turned his life around. And he said it was hard on that woman to lose her celebrity status that way, to just be a regular boring Christian with the, like the rest of them. Listen, you do, you live your life as a Christian, you do, don't look for uh, crazy adventure. Be Elizabeth. Be glad if God has made you her. She grew up with it. She knew how to do church, but listen. Okay, I, I, better, I better read this. This part that I put, this is key to to ending that first point. God is pleased to save and employ people to do his work who are religious and who are irreligious. There was a singer, and she sang a song about Satan, and she said how Satan will tell you any lie. And one line in that song, she said, Satan loves religion as much as crime. Right or left, any way will be fine. As long as you miss walking on that narrow line, all that matters is, in the end, you're his. And so you can grow up in a church and be as godless and wicked and on your way to hell as if you didn't. I wanted to make sure I said that. Now, can we say that we we can't say God hates religion as much as crime. 
He hates crime. He hates sin. He doesn't hate religion. But God, over and over again, hates a false religion or a religion that people use as a substitute instead of the relationship with him. You become a Christian. He loves religion. He gives you things to do. He says, go to church. Forsake not the meeting of your, something of yourselves. He gives us instructions. They set up churches with elders and deacons. He, he organized. God does not hate religion. But boy, he hates a false religion and a religion that takes the place of a personal relationship with him. You get that. Then look at religion biblically in a good way, and it's your friend. Anyway, she was born into it. She was religious. She, she had it. Uh, another thing about Elizabeth, in addition to the fact that she was a church kid, she was morally commendable. Elizabeth was morally commendable. Stop right there, Pastor. You're going to start talking now about works and morality, and you're going to praise somebody for their, for their works. And doesn't the Bible say uh, there's none righteous, no, not one, and, uh, and all of that? Uh, I'm going to say it again because i got Scripture behind me uh, as a characteristic of Elizabeth. She was morally commendable. Look at verse 6. And they were both righteous, both Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Um, I can get away with saying she was uh, morally commendable because the Bible says it. It's fun uh, sometimes in Presbyterian uh, elder meetings, or not elder meetings, uh, in, uh, in, in Presbytery meetings, especially when we have to deal with a fallen brother and deal with that sin. And they'll say, let's have three people pray to start the meeting. And each elder, ruling elder, teaching elder, doesn't matter. They pray and they remind themselves, remind all of us that we're all sinners, we're all fallen, we're not righteous. And, 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 and basically we beat ourselves up like Martin Luther whipping himself in the snow. And the next guy does and the next guy does. That's a good thing to do to remind ourselves that nobody is morally commendable. And I enjoy hearing them. And if I was one of the ones called on to pray, I would do that too. But there is something about Elizabeth and something about uh, uh, people that God says you live a life that pleases me. We don't say because we're all sinners and we're all going to fall, then just give up because we have the fallback. There's a way to live. They were both righteous before the Lord. How do we reconcile these two that we're all sinners and that Our good works will never save us with the fact that God says people like Elizabeth were good and blameless and following the statutes. How can we uh, reconcile the fact that we need Jesus so badly with the fact that Paul says in, in life, follow me as I'm following Christ? How do we reconcile the fact? Um, Sometimes for scripture, um, 
I like to, when we do the communion table, I like to use the, the same scriptures for a while because that's a way. A lot of us have memorized scripture just by being in church, by hearing uh, the Isaiah passage, for instance. Uh, oh, I know that passage. And I will use this one. This is a beautiful one for the Lord's table where Jesus said, greater love has no man than that he laid down his life for his friends. Now, in communion, I stop that because the next phrase is just as true and just as biblical, but I don't want in people's minds uh, to, to, to translate this into work salvation. But the next verse, right after Jesus says, greater love is no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends, says, you are my friends, what? If you keep my commandments. And there is something about Jesus saving us. How do we reconcile these things? And I never ever want to preach a works salvation to any of us, to you or, or, or me. Uh, Elizabeth was a sinner in need of a savior. Later on in this passage, she will talk to Mary and she'll say, you get to bear the son of my Lord. She even in this passage submits to the lordship of Jesus and comes under it. But my practical application to us is this. We are reminded that God does lovingly take note of how his people walk. And biblically, it is possible to displease God with your actions. And it's possible to please God with your day-to-day life. Not to make him love you any more than he does. Or to put him in your debt with your good works. Now you owe me because I did this. Not that. Boy, there's a time I'm thinking of the, the movie Chariots of Fire, which I think got it right, where the, the guy who, uh, the Christian guy from Scotland who ran, uh, Little, and he said, God has made me to serve, so made me fast, and when I run, I have pleasure. And please, God, there is a way that, I don't want to compare us all to dogs or to my dog, Romeo, who's almost a person who does not know he's a dog. But you walk in, and Romeo knows that word, trash. <laughs> and Paula will go upstairs, and Romeo will be downstairs, and she'll say, oh, no, somebody got in the trash. And Romeo, whose tail had been wagging, it'll drop between his legs, He'll lower his head, and he will slink. That's the, that's the best way. He will slink into the other room. Uh, he's not afraid we're going to kick him out in the street. and not, we, we're, not gonna, we're not even going to beat on him for that. <laughs> but he knows there's a displeasure, and he's pretty happy when he gets back into the good graces and the pleasure. Uh, there's not a doubt that, that, that we love him in, in our relationship from human to dog. Same with, with, with God's people. And God praised them. She was somebody who was even living the life and, and as a sinner in need of Jesus the Savior, God took note and recorded it. She and her husband walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And because she was old, she'd obviously been doing this for a long time. 
not just a short burst, not just January 1, New Year's Day resolutions uh, for a, a month or a month and a half, but in her life. And so you say, well, I bet her life was pretty good, wasn't it? She was a churchy religion person. She was keeping God's law. And boy, I bet there was no trouble for people who do that. But think about this and read this. She was content, it would seem, but there was a situation that really made her heart hurt and a thing that made her cry and a thing that while she was happy when all those women and friends and other cousins are having their babies, she could uh, smile and then go back to her house and, and talk to her husband or just talk, talk, talk to God and weep. Verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Today you see people out bragging and making a choice. I think Wall Street Journal last week or two weeks ago had an article on people who deliberately choose not to have children so they can have more money and more pleasure for them. And they're looking at the results of people who deliberately make that choice as they get older and how So many say, I wish we hadn't made that choice as youngsters. It's a choice people make in an attempt to be happy. They wouldn't have been making that choice in those days. We see the Old Testament examples of people who were childless. John read one this morning for our Old Testament text, and you see Hannah uh, praying at the temple, lips moving, even... Uh, being mistaken by the priest there as a, as a drunkard uh, for the way, the way it, it, it emotionally tore her up. You see the promise when Gabriel said to Zechariah, you and your wife are going to have a child, and he said in verse 14, uh, and you will have joy and gladness. Uh, they wanted this baby. She wished she could have had a baby. It was over with for her. Look at what she herself said in verse 25 of chapter 1. Uh, when she was pregnant, she said, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. She wasn't being a good person to have God bless her in the way she wanted. She was being as good as she knew to be, she was following the Lord. But God looked down in the midst of her pain. And for her, he gave her this child. The last thing about her, she acknowledged the work of God in her life when God intervened. Now, I want to be careful here, and I want us all to know this. This doesn't mean that God does the exact same thing in the exact same way in the life of each and every one of his people. Don't expect if you see God blessing and and, and giving uh, favor, and you can see God's hand in it, it doesn't mean that he's going to, then automatically has to do the same for you in your life. Uh, The blessing for some might not be so much of a blessing anyway for others. 
Not every barren woman who greatly desires a child will get one in the same way that Elizabeth did. Just because he did that for Elizabeth. But what we do see and what we can apply in God's dealings with God's people is this. God sees. God loves. God knows and God is capable of miraculously working in your life. If you desire a miracle and you're praying for it and it doesn't happen, there are a couple of possibilities. Either God is not really God in the fullest sense of the word. He's not omnipotent and able to help or he's not all wise and he's not aware of it. So you could say either God's not God or God lovingly says no or wait instead of yes at this time. I can, I can, I can say this uh, looking at Scripture, and you will agree as you think about it from Scripture, there is no one in heaven worshiping God who says God was unfair or unkind to me. Sometimes we might even have to wait until that day. All I can tell us in this regard as someone who's been called to be God's spokesman for him this morning at this time in this sermon is to say this. God is sovereign and God is good and you can trust God if you are God's child. The point we are going to make here though is that Elizabeth when God worked in her life Elizabeth acknowledged the supernatural good work of God and she was happy to tell about it. And then I think, wait a minute. God's never done anything supernatural in my life. God doesn't, I don't have anything to tell people about. God's not done anything. I, I was a church kid like her. I tried to do good and all, and God never did anything supernatural for me. <laughs> you guys would say really fast, Didn't he save you? Didn't he bring you from death to life? Didn't he intervene when you were on your way uh, to a righteous, righteously on your way, quote unquote, to hell? Yes, God has done something supernatural in your life if you're a Christian, something that you couldn't do yourself, something that nobody could do for you. And didn't he say to be like Elizabeth, who was Happy. She, she took five months and she waited and she kind of hid herself off uh, uh, because it's, it's, a, it's kind of a strange thing. And, and what would happen and what, uh, are, are we sure? I can see where, where an older lady uh, in those days could, could say, I'm going to isolate for a few months. But boy, she came right out. The neighbors are celebrating. They're all talking about it. Uh, uh, in the meantime, her husband has uh, lost his voice and can't speak because of of what's going on and something happening, but she talked about it and she praised God for it. The last couple of times Elizabeth appears in the Bible, and uh, it's in this passage, and I alluded to them. Verses 39 through 45, Mary has just gotten her news, and she is also now pregnant with the baby Jesus supernaturally. Hers in an even more uh, 
more wonderful way in that, in that there was no earthly father. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Fast forward a couple of months to the time of the birth. Verses 57 through 66, and this is where we'll say farewell to Elizabeth for now. Um, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. They said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. But remember, Gabriel said, Name the baby John. Elizabeth was all in. She knew it was God, and she was going to obey God in this herself. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. How do we apply this? What's the conclusion to this as we get ready to move to the Lord's table? I would just say, how about you? Has it been a while since you acknowledged the supernatural work of God in your life? Begin by believing that your salvation through the person and work of Jesus is truly supernatural. It is something that was scripted, orchestrated, and directed by God. Submit to that. Understand that. Uh, Elizabeth didn't say, well, I started... You know, drinking, uh, you know, whatever carrot juice or whatever. I tried all the methods, and 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 I know there's some some parallel thing. There was a prophecy, but I think it could have been what I did and what God did uh, together. No, she she acknowledged it was God. Your supernatural work, your salvation, is God and God alone. And as sure as Elizabeth's little boy would grow up and point people to Jesus the Messiah, so did someone point you to Jesus, the Messiah. Second thing, as sure as God was in charge of Elizabeth's birth of her own, so was he in charge of her new birth. We didn't spend a lot of time on this, but it talks about her being filled with the Holy Spirit. It made me wonder this. We talked about this in our men's group, about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and even passages like the one where it says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And you see Holy Spirit active, but Pentecost being where the Holy Spirit indwelled the believers. And I wondered this. What was the rest of her life like? 
Europe. She had this kid. Did she go out there when he was out in the wilderness? She said, I taught him to dress better than this. And when he was at my house, I fed him a balanced diet, not these locusts and wild honey. But, oh, well, he's a man now. He's making his own choices. Did she say something like that? Did she listen to his message? Did she um, look and wonder when Roman soldiers were asking him what to do? And this is her little miraculous baby boy, and he's telling them? Or had she she gone on to heaven by then? We don't know. But think about it. Was she in the upper room when the Holy Spirit then fell and indwelt the people at Pentecost? I don't know. I I didn't ask. got an expert uh, on Acts. I didn't ask that question, too, if that's a possibility. But you think about it. She had a life to live beyond this. We're saying goodbye to her in this text because God says, that's all I want you to know about Elizabeth. But she went on to live and see. She got the news one day, if she was still alive herself, that, that Herod had cut off her son's head because he liked the way a girl danced and, and, uh, and he was drunk and foolish and, and, and her, her baby boy lost his head that way. Either they came and brought her the news or she was in heaven and here he is worshiping God with her at that point. But she was a real human being as sure as you're a real human being. And we take this and we say, God dealt with real human beings the same way God deals with all of us human beings. And if you're one of these people that you're kind of a church kid, you kind of had a boring, uh, you just kind of, uh, you could say, I believed it all along. I, 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 I know that Jesus is my, I put my trust in him. I didn't have this dramatic this or that. Um, you know that that God who, who loved her and walked with her in that way is the same God who loves and knows and walks with you that way and is just as involved in your life as hers. And she's in heaven at this very moment doing what you and I have been doing this morning in this very place, praising Jesus and resting in his perfect work on her behalf. And I want us to be encouraged as we see these real-life people from all walks of life to say God sees, God knows, he knew the condition, he sent his son to be born and to die for you, and, uh, and, and let that uh, fill you with joy as you think about it the same way that Elizabeth's heart was filled with joy. Let's pray and go to the Lord's table. Lord, we thank you so much for the salvation you've given us through Jesus. We thank you for uh, just the assurance we have as we read these stories that everything uh, down to the minutest detail is orchestrated by you. Uh, You didn't uh, uh, fly by the seat of your pants and and say, oh, I got a good idea. Oh, I'm glad it worked out this way that Jesus could die uh, as a substitute. But you orchestrated it all. You visited. You you chose how you wanted it done. And it was good and true. And we thank you for that salvation that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.